Welcome to The Grind, a podcast about the church planting process and missional strategies to make disciples of all nations. Coming to you from the offices of the Arkansas Baptist State Convention in Little Rock, Arkansas. Now, here are your hosts, Dave McClung and Chad Grigsby. Well, welcome to another episode of The Grind podcast. After a short hiatus, uh, our lovely uh, host, hostess. Hostess with the mostest. Co-hostess. Co-hostess with the mostest. Chad Grigsby is back with us. Good to be here. Yeah. Sleep sleep deprived and all. (laughs) That's right. A new child in the Grigsby fold and uh, all is well with mama and child, I'm assuming. Yeah. She has three boys now. Me and the the two kids. (laughs) So pray for her. Yeah. God bless her. Everybody's good, man. We're very blessed. Her name is Jessica. Please pray. Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, I'm Dave McClung. Glad to, to have you guys back with us as we uh, uh, continue another episode of The Grind. Uh, uh, by the time this episode airs, we will be uh, approximately two weeks post-2016 election mm. and uh, praying that the the madness of Facebook and social media will calm down now a little bit yes. and uh, just absolutely insane and uh, so glad that we have... Uh, a savior who is king over all of that, and uh, can can uh, no pun intended trump the madness. <laughs> that was a bad yes. one, wasn't it? That was all right. <laughs> that was all right. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, there we go. So uh, so anyway, we're excited today to uh, have Dean Folks joining us. Uh, Dean is the uh, lead pastor and planter of LifePoint Church in uh, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, he is also the Send City Coordinator uh, for Columbus uh, with uh, North American Mission Board. And uh, uh, Columbus, just a incredible city. We had the SBC annual meeting there last year. It's actually my first time to Columbus. Uh, beautiful city, uh, really neat City, great restaurants, of course, uh, as he will tell us, the Ohio State University. Yeah, evidently, they uh, play some football up there. Evidently, and uh, they have these things known as Heisman candidates. I, and I wouldn't know that. National championship know. trophies. and, and yeah. uh, so it must uh, be nice. We are uh, not as familiar with those things in Arkansas and Tennessee <laughs> as right. uh, <laughs> they are in Ohio, mm. evidently. So, uh, But uh, Dean's just done an incredible job at LifePoint. They've been going 12 years now, and I think he, he said about – 2,000 people, average week in attendance, uh, starting with 14 uh, 12 years ago. So uh, really great conversation with him. Looking forward to chatting with him and hope you guys will enjoy as well. So we're going to kick it to that conversation with Dean now. Well, thanks, Dean, so much for being here today. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Great. It's a good day. Sort of. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It's a good day. So, you know, yeah. It's finally cooled off down here in the south, so it's good. What, what is it up in Columbus? Today, um, we have finally hit daytime temps in the low 40s. Oh, wow. So everybody up here is losing their minds and walking <laughs> around with blankets around them <laughs> like, you know, the ice age has returned. They're yeah. in full Snuggy mode, I guess. Yep. So is it yep. that happens in Columbus too? I mean, I figured all you guys would be used to the, the cold and, and a 40 would, would be like, you know, fall yeah so no that doesn't really happen here but people irrationally react (laughs) 
to the cold like it does happen yeah. here. So it's kind of like when it snows in the south. Everybody just loses their mind. Uh, yeah. Cancel school for a week. No kidding. Nobody leaves the house. Bread and milk flies off the shelf. <laughs> yeah. Milk sandwiches for everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, Dean, tell us a little bit about your uh, planting journey at LifePoint. How did God lead you to plant? Why Columbus? Kind of talk us through some of those details. Yeah, um, my wife Angie and I helped plant a church in Memphis uh, in the late 90s, uh, right around 2000. And um, while we were in Memphis, the church that I attended some when I was in college at Ohio State, excuse me, we say the Ohio State University, (laughs) much to everyone's chagrin around the country. Yeah. they called and uh, said they were going to plant a church up on the north side of Columbus. And then our local director of missions um, also called independently and said he was praying about planting a church and wanted to know if we'd pray about coming. So we kind of got those two calls back to back, and that kind of just awakened our attention to what you know we believed could be God's activity. And we began to pray, and we began to talk to people around us, and um, you know God kind of brought to bear and just kind of pointed all the arrows towards Columbus for us to, uh, you know, follow up with a face step. What were some connections though? You had some connections in Columbus before going back to plant there, right? Yeah, we did. Um, from being here in college and then, um, right out of seminary, I led, uh, collegiate ministries for the state of Ohio. So I had some connectivity here in Columbus. We had some friends who were here, um, a couple of friends, uh, who had said, you know, Hey, God ever brings you back to, to plant here, we'd be interested in being part of that. So, um, yeah, we, whenever we first met our first month, we started with 14 folks and a couple of those folks were friends of ours, you know, previously, uh, to coming to the city. So, you know, how that is when you start to develop a launch team, uh, you're looking for anybody and everybody, something with a pulse, right. <laughs> yeah. To be on your launch team. Uh, so that was definitely a help. So, so what were the early days of LifePoint like? I mean, you know, how many did you guys start with? What was kind of the, <laughs> the runway and the ramp up, you know, with all the people with the pulse? <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, the, the church planting was just really starting to get hot right about the time that we came here. And yeah. so we had heard all the stories in other cities, you know, these guys saying they, you know, they didn't do any marketing, right? They just put a shingle out and said they were starting <laughs> a church and thousands of people showed up. And, yeah. So we thought, well, you know, man, we'll, we'll have a hundred people, you know, we'll snap our fingers and there'll be a hundred people there. And we snapped our fingers and there were 14 people. (laughs) (laughs) That really changed our uh, pre-launch timeline a lot. So we kind of shifted our focus from, you know, kind of going, um, uh, crowd to core. Cause we thought, well, we'll, you know, we'll kind of have to use the saddleback model. You know, we'll get a big crowd together and we'll develop a core out of that to going core to crowd. Yeah. And so we started just to meet in a house on a monthly basis and work our way towards core team development until we outgrew a house. So we started with 14 and then we went to 24 and then we jumped up into the thirties and we skipped the forties and went to the fifties. And then in July, I think we had 65 people in our house and, um, you know, we decided then we had chairs going different directions, moved furniture around. We actually had taken our kitchen table out and just sat it uh, in the side yard by our house. And so, since, <laughs> you know, it looked like a garage sale. We decided that was about it. That was about enough. Our neighbors were frustrated because parking and all that kind of stuff. So uh, from there, we decided, OK, let's do some preview services. And then from there, we launched uh, weekend services. 
So that that was what kind of time frame from start to, to Yeah, launch? we did our first um, core value study in March when we had 14 people, and then we officially launched every weekend, uh, the second weekend in October. Okay, okay, great. And you guys are running what now? Um, every Sunday now we have anywhere 2,000 to 2,300 or so wow. people. Wow, yeah. Well, and, you know, it's always fascinating. Everybody wants to get there, but they don't ever mm-hmm. talk a lot about the the stories of the fourteen, <laughs> you know, in mm-hmm. the beginning, and the fourteen to twenty four to thirty, and and all the things that that go into that, and you know, from a house to renting a space to, I mean, you know, that's the real nuts and bolts of of church planning, and. Uh, uh, God's obviously blessed you guys. You've been faithful to what He's called you to do there. That, that's fantastic. Well, and a decade of time, right? Yeah. Haven't you, didn't you guys just celebrate ten years recently? Yeah, we two years ago. So yeah, we're twelve years in now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's that's a that's more than a decade of your life invested. <laughs> yeah. You know. Right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So talk about uh, when. Okay, you guys have been going. You know, when did you really start engaging with? You may have engaged with Nam pretty early on, I guess. Uh, and then when did that shift kind of come with uh, Sin City emphasis and and your part in all that? Yeah. Um, so we did. We were actually engaged with you know the North American Mission Board and our state convention from the get go because of my previous experience there working uh, in collegiate ministry. Um, but now the Sin City emphasis, you know, really shifted right around 2010, 2011. Yeah. Um, that began to surface and take place. And, you know, really the, the Sin City strategy for NAM is, is looking at 32 different cities around the country where lostness uh, is greater than 90%. Now, there are a lot of different ways you can find that in statistics and make them say what you want, but um, they are mainly non-Southern cities. Um, There are actually three in the South, but they're very unchurched. It's Miami, New Orleans, and Atlanta. Um, And then the rest of of the Sin cities are scattered all around the West, the Midwest, the Northeast, and Canada. And, um, NAM has actually has developed a 33rd Sin City. The, the college campuses around our country, they're kind of referring to that now as the 33rd right. uh, Sin venue. Um, so uh, really what NAM's done is just said, hey, we, we're not going to stop what we're doing in other places, but because of the fact that you know 80, more than 80% of people now live in metropolitan areas in the U.S., um, we're just going to put a greater emphasis on reaching these large uh, major metropolitan areas, and you know, it, it's so easy to overlook a city like Columbus, which is now the fifteenth largest city in uh, the country. Yeah, um, Metro Columbus, the city population of Columbus is actually larger than Cincinnati and Cleveland combined. Wow. But when you think of Ohio, you don't ever think about it that way. Yeah, um, Columbus is larger than Denver. Columbus is larger than Charlotte. Columbus, you just start going down the list, wow. and all of a sudden you realize. Uh, how many people God is bringing to our city and has brought over the last 20 years. So that, that was one of the things that surprised me when we came up for the SBC annual meeting uh, last year mm-hmm. uh, was how large Columbus was. I, I did not, I, I did, I was one of those people that wouldn't have put it as one of the largest cities in the country. Yeah. Uh, and the, mm-hmm. di- and the diversity. Cause yeah. isn't there, 
isn't like the largest Ethiopian population outside of Ethiopia or something like that in Columbus? Did I make um, that I, up? You're you're close. You're close. <laughs> Um, you're just you're just off an African country or two. Uh, it's uh, actually we have more Somalian refugees Somalia. in Columbus okay. than just about just about anywhere. Now Minneapolis has a large population. Uh, Los Angeles has a large population of Somalian refugees, but we some folks guess here in Columbus we know there are over uh, twenty five thousand, but probably closer to thirty five to forty thousand Somalian refugees here in in our city and you know that creates um it, it brings with it, you know somali when you hear about pirates over in the yeah you know the, the, uh, ocean you know across the world and things like that um you know somalia is right there right around the horn there and um you know in some cases they're um they're one in most cases they're just wonderful folks to be around yeah mm. and like other situations there are folks in that group who are militant and um i believe if i'm not mistaken uh there was a young man arrested uh trying to get out of the country from columbus two days ago trying to um he was he was detained first and then arrested uh he's been charged um for being in cahoots with isis so um you know that that brings with it certain challenges but also brings with it incredible gospel opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the last catch the vision tour that I was at with grand Avenue, um, we drove around the North part of Columbus and just, uh, had a guy who was telling us, yeah, there's a mosque in there and there's a mosque in there mm-hmm. and there's a mosque. And it, so it's just interesting, the, the diversity and the complexity and, and, and the opportunity, uh, th- that's there. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about a little bit, your partnership with grand Avenue. Cause you guys have a, pretty strong Arkansas connection. Uh, one of one of the guys who was a youth pastor who we've already talked to here, Mark Cox, is now planting in Columbus. And uh, But mm-hmm. you, have, you have a lead partner in Grand Avenue from Fort Smith uh, in Columbus. So talk a little bit about that partnership. What, is a, what does a lead partner do or what does that mean for Ascend City? Um, just talk about that partnership. Yeah, so there's really two levels of partnership. Um, and they're sending and supporting. Uh, so if you are a supporting church, that can be anything from, man, we agree to, pr- to pray with a planter and his wife on a regular basis. Um, we maybe are going to send a team occasionally. Um, maybe we're going to send them gift cards on their birthdays. Uh, maybe when we send a team up, we're going to um, try and take care of their kids for a night, give them a date night out, something like that. Um, supporting can range it's really, really broad. Um, ascending church is a little bit different. Ascending church is more like a parent when you think about it. There's somebody that's going to um, hold the rope. They're kind of an anchor. They're going to say, man, we're going to own this church plant uh, through to the end uh, to see it stand and be sustainable. And, you know, it's um, it's kind of self-supporting, self-propagating, self-governing. Um, and um, you're right, man. The, the guys at Grand Avenue, um, Brad Luter and Scott Ward, the missions pastor there, have been incredible advocates for uh, for Columbus, for our city, um, and and really, quite honestly, for no other reason than they love the Lord um, and they are just passionate about the city. They come here and they they love and enjoy everything about the city, believe in the mission of trying to reach it, 
Um, so really, that's what a lead partner does. They just take a higher degree of ownership. Now, there's a there's a stronger financial commitment there, obviously, as ascending church and uh, those kinds of things. Um, you know, the other component of being a lead partner, uh, it's not that you have to have tons and tons of financial resources. It's really about using your influence and your leverage. Um, if you think about a parent who has uh, a child, maybe that's um, has some sort of physical ailment, um, a parent will go to any length to leverage any and every doctor at any hospital, yeah. any medical facility around the country. And, and really, that's the other the thing that's an important aspect of being a lead partner is it's not just that Brad says, hey, we're coming to Columbus. Brad says, hey, I'm going to call all my friends who are pastors at their churches and see if they're not partnered somewhere, if they're not supporting somewhere. And I'm going to call and invite them and bring them bring them with me. Um, so, you know, just, just like Dave already mentioned, coming up for a vision tour here next year, I mean, there's the opportunity for Brad to invite friends. And, of course, they don't even, they don't have to be friends of, of Brad and Grand Avenue. They can come from anywhere and everywhere. Right. Um, but to be part of that week and get to experience Columbus and we do some fun stuff and we go meet planters and we go look at spaces and places and, um, you know, and get ready to help guys who are in various phases uh, getting ready to plant churches. As, as you guys have had, I know, you know, partners down through the years and the 12 years that LifePoint's been going, you know, what have been some of the most valuable aspects of those partnerships that, you know, if you were, you know, say a, a part, potential partner church is listening to this podcast, what would you say to them? Say, hey, here's, here are the most valuable things you, know, you guys could, could do to partner, you know, with a new church plan in Columbus or any Sin City. Yeah. Um, so uh, the first couple of things I would mention, and these are not misnomers or things you just you just say so you can get on to the really important stuff. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely, number one is pray. Yeah. Um, you know, what you can't do because you're somewhere, you know, in a different part of the geography of the U.S., what you can do is beat down the doors of heaven, um, which is right here. You know, God's obviously omnipresent everywhere all the time. So um, that's primarily what you can do. But what happens is as people and partners begin to pray, they begin to sense God's activity you know, in other areas. So I would say the second thing in terms of planter support is to let that planter know he's not alone. Let his wife know she's not alone. Yeah. Um, so many times when guys and their wives move to new cities and there's transition taking place, and a lot of times they have, you know, they have young kids, and it is so easy to feel like you're out there yeah. just all by yourself. Yeah. So I'd say that's probably the second thing. And then certainly, I mean, financial resources are are always incredibly helpful. Um, I don't know. I've never met an over-resourced church planter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I haven't met a church yet that has enough money or enough leaders. Those yeah. are the two two areas. You're right. <laughs> What's interesting, and we we've been trying to kind of tell this story in our state is two of the three things that you mentioned there don't cost a dime. Yeah. And mm -hmm. there's no reason for churches not to be involved in church planting in some way. Cause yeah. so we, we've tried to try to talk about, I think what, what, uh, what several others have talked about is every church can be involved in church planting, yeah. you know, so mm -hmm. uh, it's neat. It's neat for you to say that, you know, and, and, and you, know, you mentioned the prayer thing and that, it really is, that's the spiritual thing to say, but it really does get a kind of a back seat in in most pictures of the partnership and support 
But anybody that's ever been involved in church planning on any level knows that there are so many things that have to happen that, that you cannot make happen on your own. Uh, mm-hmm. And without that prayer support, it's just not going to happen. Uh, there is there is an incredible supernatural element that has to take place when you're in front lines kind of mission work and church planting, and and we I mean we just emphasize that so much you, you can't overemphasize the need and power of prayer in in church planting and um, you know there are, there are forty five thousand churches just in our network forty five thousand uh, SBC churches and we're we're just trying to get to 10%, yeah, just 10%, 4,500 churches to be sending or supporting wow. churches. And it's like, you know, climbing Everest to get there. Yeah. 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 So uh, you're, you guys are exactly right. It, it doesn't, it's not primarily about, about dollars. It's, it's primarily about the spirits drawing uh, to go reach people who aren't where you are, yeah. who are in a city like, you know, whenever we moved, uh, here to the county that we're in, uh, Delaware County, um, only 3% of the people in Delaware County attended an evangelical church on any given weekend. Yeah. So we quickly realized there are foreign countries that are in better shape than our county Yeah. is, is in, uh, of the 88 counties in Ohio, we ranked dead last. Wow. We were, we we're number 88 in, uh, in evangelical church attendance. Wow. Wow. So let's, let's, um, Let's kind of transition then into where you guys are there in Delaware County and where God's placed you and, and talk a little bit about LifePoint. But you guys just aren't there in, in Delaware. You've got three campuses. Um, mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about why you guys have gone to a campus model <clears throat> instead of maybe planting autonomous churches out of your church. Are, are these campuses church plants? Are they a hybrid? <laughs> uh, kind of what are some of the pros and cons you think of a campus over a traditional plant? Or what led you guys to those type of decisions? Yeah, so, you know, the modern um, movement of multi-site churches really kind of kind of began right in the early 2000, 2001, 2002. There was a, a meeting there at Leadership Network where some guys got their heads together and were all fighting the same kind of battle about, you know, it's, it's always bigger size, bigger auditorium, build a bigger. What if we did this in reverse was kind of the idea that came up in the meeting. So that's really where that movement started. <laughs> What's funny, uh, funny, ironic, however you want to say it is, you know, we've always been multi-site, but not out of like vision or we didn't go to the big leadership network meeting. Uh, for us, it was out of necessity. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so when we tried to find a location to meet in Delaware County, I mean, there just wasn't, there just wasn't anywhere. I mean, we couldn't find a school that was open to us because everything had grown so fast. It was so residential. There weren't commercial meeting spaces. There wasn't a movie theater in our target area. There was, we looked at uh, 31 different potential spots to meet on Sundays. And the 32nd location that we looked at, that was, that was the spot where we met, but it wasn't even in our target area. Wow. Hmm. It was Southeast of our target area. So, and we couldn't meet there on Sunday mornings. We had to meet on Sunday nights. So we started meeting there on Sunday nights and about a year and a half in, a church on the northwest side of our target area, um, an SBC church, um, 
they approached our director of missions who approached us and they were going to close up shop. And, um, so they handed over both, you know, their property and their indebtedness on their property. Uh, they handed over to us. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, uh, right, right. And it, it became our Sunday morning location. Um, so all of a sudden, uh, you know, <laughs> I jokingly have said to folks in the past, you know, here we are in 2006 and, um, you know, Fellowship Church down in Dallas, Ed Young Jr., they launched a new uh, multi-site location and here we are up in Delaware County launching a new multi-site location. <laughs> the two did not look the same. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, we were multi-site before we knew what we were doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we were just kind of reproducing services. So in the, in the 12 years we've been around, we've helped plant. We've either been ascending or supporting church for about 14 different churches uh, that are independent, so to speak, of us, that are freestanding churches. Um, and a few years ago, we decided we wanted to try and launch um, our first campus. We launched it with a teaching pastor, a guy who's been on our staff for, um, he'd been, that time he'd been on our staff for six and a half years, I think. Um, and so he went home to the community he grew up in in Mount Vernon. And so to us, the benefit of, of multi-site is really shared resources, hmm. shared thinking and shared DNA and vision. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, to, uh, for us, from our perspective, we are better together than we are separately. That has not, um, stopped us from planting. You know, right now we're the sending church for, um, a guy named Larry Hiles, who's planting over in Johnstown. Um, so it, for us, it's not an either or it's a, it's a both and. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, so really necessity is what kind of determined that for you guys uh, and then kind of moved into more of a strategic uh, kind of mindset. We've planted and planted and planted, you know, why not you know, kind of expand our vision and DNA, you know, other locations mm-hmm. with guys yep. that you knew and trusted and had raised up and, and uh, were yeah. part, of, part of who you were. Uh, that's great. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's wrap up with a couple of things. We're, we're asking everybody uh, that we talk to, you know, uh, kind of for a good nugget of wisdom. Uh, as our friend Charles Campbell at Nand, NAM's uh, Multiplied Training says, we're going to drop some gold uh, right now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so if you could say one thing to church planners out there, or even church partners, you know, they're looking to connect with Sin City. Uh, what would it be? What would be your one nugget of advice, wisdom there? You know, in working with planters here, um, the one thing that I encourage them about the most consistently, and this is outside of the things that we all assume, right? This is outside of their prayer lives, their devotional lives, that they're reading the Word, they're uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, outside of spiritual formation, the thing that I practically encourage them about the most is, uh, is go slow, plow deep, think big. Yeah. And you do those three things, the, the work that they do pre-launch is more important uh, than the work they do in a comparable amount of time post-launch. Yeah. And it is just, it is so hard to buy into that mm-hmm. reality as a planter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you have this mentality, if I could just get to Sundays, man, everything is going to be great. <laughs> and, I, and I tell guys all the time, 
hey, listen, if you think yeah. that planting a church means that you're going to stand up on Sunday and, and everybody's going to come and flock to your great sermons, you're mm-hmm. sadly mistaken. <laughs> sadly mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I encourage guys, um, do the hard relational work. You know, the first 100 people um, who joined uh, our church officially uh, came to our house for dinner at some point. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I just about killed my wife and kids um, <laughs> in that process. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it uh. formed a relational network uh, for us in planting. We heard their stories. We knew about their lives. They knew about us. We laughed together. We got teary together. Um, the relational bonds were so strong um, that, you know, most of those folks are still with the majority of those folks are still with us Yeah. Uh, today. So, yeah, I, I try and tell guys, slow down, wait as long as you can wait to launch, launch as large as possible. Um, but, man, dig deep relational wells with people. Yeah. I don't think we've had anybody say, I wish we'd have gone faster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and all that. Yeah, I true. mean, across the board, everybody says, I wish we'd taken more time on this. Wish we'd taken more time yeah. on this. Wish we'd been more, more patient here. And so that's a, that's a common, uh, that's fantastic, fantastic stuff. And it is hard to do that for guys that are visionary, mm-hmm. you know, aggressive, want to take on the world. Most of them want to plant yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So when you right. think about launching last weekend, <laughs> what? <laughs> That's most of them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, we do this uh, thing to wrap up with everybody called Rapid Fire and uh, just some, some random, really deep theological questions that uh, the world is wanting to hear. And, uh, and so just quick, short answers uh, you know, to each of these and uh, to give a little insight into Dean Folk's soul. How about that? Yeah, um, I'll give you a... Uh, you know, this could be a really short, a really short segment. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you exactly. have no soul. Is that what you just said? <laughs> you got. Yeah. Some would, would say. All right. Uh, top one or two books have had the most impact on you. Um, I'll give you one that uh, is in front of me right now, and then one that's definitely had a lot of impact on me. Um, one that's in front of me right now is um, "Renewing the Mind" by Dallas Willard. It's the mm. edition that was edited by Gary Black, mm-hmm. uh, that found some of Dallas's old writings and put them together and. Mm. Um, uh, so that's kind of having a current impact on my life and probably the book that's had as much impact on me and my church planting journey as any other was the prodigal God by Tim Keller. Wow. How about your biggest strength in church planting? Um, my biggest strength in the early days of planting was, was being willing to admit what I did not know. Hmm. Um, I have, I was given a unique... <laughs> A unique gift of not being able to hide anything. Uh, so when I can't figure stuff out, people look in there, it's all over my face. So, so God bless me with people who came alongside to help. So yeah, probably that... Uh, Transparency. That, that gift of being a little bit unhinged. So what you're saying is you're a terrible liar. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably a good characteristic great, to have. As a pastor, yeah. I stay away from the tables in Vegas. <laughs> That's probably a good uh, practice. Uh, what about the biggest challenge or weakness to overcome? 
the um, fact that you can't lie. Right. <laughs> 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 One in the same. Um, so there's there, there's a, there's a lot of those, but probably probably the biggest one. I'm 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 a progress guy. Um, I want I want to to move the ball down the field uh, every day. I want to see I want to see it happen and happen now. Yeah. And um, I think part of that is a gift for planters, but if that thing doesn't come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, that thing can wear you out. Yeah. And kill you and. Quite to be just you know very frank, um, I've experienced both sides of that. What's your favorite hobby or pastime? Um, this is kind of backwards nature in me from a lot of folks, but like I really enjoy going to the gym and working out, and um, I enjoy. Uh, it, for me, it's it's not only a way to blow off some steam, but it's good evangelism for me. Yeah, uh, I've got a group of guys I've worked out with for. Uh, four or five years, and it's been fun, man, watching some of them uh, come to faith and come to our church. And um, so uh, for a number of reasons, that's probably my favorite pastime. Mine is eating Snickers. (laughs) 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 Kind of went the other way on that, didn't you? I did, I did, yeah. Yeah, you can look at me and say, no, that guy doesn't go to the gym. (laughs) That kind of be evangelism somehow, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, favorite movie? Uh, oh, that's an easy one, man. Uh, Braveheart. Favorite, right. uh, definitely favorite movie, Braveheart. Yeah. All right, how about your favorite band or musician? Um, modern or are we going? Are we going old here? Doesn't matter. Anytime. Favorite. Okay. Well, then let's just go. Let's go old school. Nineteen eighty nine. Bon Jovi. Oh wow! Yes. Look at there. That. Yes, that's that's good for a church a planter. Living on a prayer, that's spiritual. That's what that's I'm right. saying. That's, that's right. very church planting. <laughs> hey, my very first concert ever was Bon Jovi and Cinderella in 1987. Wow. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> Slippery when wet tour. Yep. Yeah, I was. I saw that tour myself. I, uh, I saw that. I sat in the. Uh, I sat in the rafters actually of the uh, Huntington Civic Center and saw that concert. And I think there was enough. Uh, there was probably enough pot smoking going on at that, uh, at that concert that I also got high unintentionally. Secondhand yeah, smoke yeah. there. Yeah, oh, absolutely, gosh. absolutely. D- Dean, one more question: Can you confirm or deny that you did have a mustache in seventh grade? Hey, um, listen. <laughs> you know, I did not only have. I, I mean, some guys say they have a mustache. Yeah. I had full-on Tom Selleck mustache <laughs> uh, as a young man. Let's call it that. Let's just as say a young, as a young as man. A young man. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. Uh, well, Chad was waxing eloquent about your seventh-grade mustache. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, <laughs> Dave, je- jealousy is an ugly thing. It is an, ugly, an thing. ugly thing. Yeah. If, yeah. if you can see his face right now, it's just written all over his yeah. face. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> He is green with envy. You, you could ice skate yeah. on my face. It's so smooth. I mean, it is ridiculous. Yeah. So. Oh, his newborn child has more hair on his face <laughs> than Chad. That's exactly does. right. And he's three weeks old, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, goodness. Well, this interview went downhill quick. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every episode, it just gets better and better. It does. Right. That's right. We always have to take a detour somewhere. Yeah. Well, thanks for being such a good sport, Dino. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, uh, man. Appreciate you. Yeah. Appreciate what you guys are doing to invest in the kingdom and obviously to invest in church planters. And, you know, uh, I'm easy to find uh, D folks, F U L K S, uh, at nam.net. If there are any pastors uh, or church leaders out there who are interested in coming to Columbus and connecting up with a with a church planter, yeah. be more than happy to help. Well, I tell you, man, uh, last year was my first time to Columbus ever, and I just love the city. It's yeah. such a cool city, and uh, and 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 I, I mean, I was very surprised at how large the city was and how diverse the city was, and yeah. uh, just a really great time up there. And uh, looking forward to coming back and bringing some pastors with us and and getting them connected with you guys. We met two or three church planners when we were up there for the annual meeting, and uh, really sharp guys doing some great stuff and uh so yeah, give, give us those catch the vision tour dates in case somebody's interested in coming up for that do you know yeah we you have yeah we have um we have one next year in april if you'd like to come uh if you'd like to come early we've got one the third week of april and then we have um the larger the ctv 32 with the guys from arkansas next year is september 11 through 13 so you come in on the night of the 11th, that's a Monday, and then we would tour on Tuesday. And uh, the tour would, would include, we'll uh, stop by Ohio Stadium, get to go down on the field um, there, and then we'll go over to the, the Woody Hayes Athletic Facility and get to see some Heisman trophies and then national championship trophies and things like that. So it's got a little fun mixed in there. Uh, and then you'll get out of town on the on the thirteenth. Wait, what are these? What are these national championship trophies you speak of? <laughs> I don't know anything about this. I don't. I don't, uh, what, I don't are you I talking about a Tennessee? What is a what is a Heisman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't know anything about that in Tennessee. Yeah, that's right. Goodness. Gosh. <laughs> All right, man. Well, have a great day. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Dean. See you later. Talk to you soon. Great conversation with Dean. Uh, I like that guy a lot. He's a good kid. Yeah, he's a good kid. Good kid. Uh, it's just kind of nice to talk to somebody that's my age and uh, <laughs> and the, whose favorite you know band was Bon Jovi. That's, <laughs> that's classic, really. It was. It was. Yeah. And it really was my first concert. Stood in line. Uh, got it. Got it. McCain Mall. Uh, at five o'clock in the morning, tickets went on sale at nine, I think eight or nine, and there's a line out the door. Wow. I mean, that was when that was the heyday of you know hair bands, and uh, they were the biggest band in the world at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were sold out in uh, an hour and a half, I think. And uh, but, uh, but yeah, that's when you still had to go to ticket venues and. <laughs> And buy the office, tickets. The actual yeah. box office. Yeah, we went to Sears at McCain Mall and bought wow. our tickets from Sears. And that? Uh, so that was my first uh, official, you know, concert as a teenager was Bon Jovi and Cinderella. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, not that anybody wanted to know that, uh, but uh, just a trip down memory lane there between Dean and I. Mm-hmm. So, just to date you a little bit, I wasn't even born when that happened. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, who you told you to again? talk? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, speak when spoken to, Nick. Speak when spoken to. Once again, we've been asking him to talk all this time, and then that's what he comes in with. I tell you, that's what we get. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so I wasn't even born then. I hate you, Nick Burt. So uh, anyway, 
Great, great thoughts uh, there from Dean. I mean, God just done some incredible stuff with them, and uh, and I love hearing those stories and reminders that, that when we started, there were fourteen of us, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. and you know the visions of big things, which every church planner should have, and we should have God sized visions, yeah. but we've also got to have a God sized patience to see those visions accomplished. And uh, just the perseverance and the commitment to make disciples, to share yeah. the gospel. Uh, was great. Well, he also, and we didn't go into this, and I don't want to overshare on his behalf, but um, when they were planting in Memphis, there were some things that happened that were difficult in that plant that they were a part of yeah. that uh, that was difficult. Yeah. And, and to, to kind of go out and plant again, uh, and that plant's doing well in Memphis that they were a part of, but, but to go out and plant again... After that, it's always hard, yeah. you know, and to and to persevere and to hang in there, and then to been there now twelve years. Uh, it that's the kind of I think perseverance it takes, yeah, in church planting, yeah, uh, and have a long long haul, long vision. Yeah. Uh, you know, he he said somebody says stood out to me is, you know, you got to take your time, make sure that you have a long runway, and and prepare. He said build into those relationships. Don't just start on Sunday. And I think, man, that's got to be, you know, I think some of this discussion we had with Tim, you know, in our one of our last episodes was, can you wait too long to launch? Well, yeah. m- maybe so, but I think more often than not, the, the case is that guys launch too, too soon. And, and what happens is, is Sunday is so demanding, yeah. especially when you are the guy. Yeah. And so you're organizing music and you're organizing transitions and you're, you're, you're dealing with relationships and counseling and, uh, and, and evangelism and then you're preaching. And so if you get to Sunday too quick, it, it just zaps so much of your time that you quit doing the relational things that he was talking about. You yeah. stop being evangelistic. You just don't have the margin for some of those things that you did before. So I think there's a lot of truth to that. That's yeah. what stood out to me. Yeah, and I, one of the other things he said I really loved was uh, when he talked about you know the first hundred people that came to Light Point, they had dinner in their house. Uh, you know, we've talked about this. The the whole missional conversation emphasizes this and talks about you know sharing meals together with people as a form of disciple making and mission. How how important that was to Jesus to eat with people. How important it needs to be with us. And I think I thought that was a that was a great little nugget there that mm-hmm. you know we kind of passed over a little bit. But I want people to miss that that there's there's nothing that replaces the work of building relationships when yeah. you're planning a church. That's right. And sharing those meals together, there's something very disarming about sitting around a table with people and sharing a meal that it just it just opens up conversation that you're not going to be able to manufacture and have any other way. Well, and, and he also said most of those people are still are at still the church. still with them. Over yeah. a decade later, yeah. which one of the things that happens a lot of times is the core team lasts a year or two yeah. in a lot of church plants. Right. But he he did the hard work of making those relationships, and it's continued to be yeah uh, part part of it's still reaping the benefit. He's still reaping the benefits. Of yeah, that, yeah, even absolutely. Now. And and it was hard work. You know, he, he said you almost killed you know Angie and the kids and all yeah. that. I did the same thing when we planted. My <laughs> yeah, wife yeah. was like, "No more dinners, please." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and there's you know obviously there's some rhythms you can build with that where it's not. Uh, Four nights a week. Yeah, it doesn't kill you. But I, you know, Hugh Halter, you know, talked about you know they uh, if if their front door was open, then that meant 
come on in. And uh, the only time they you know, shut down, they would close the front door and turn off the porch light. Uh, but otherwise, there were people in their home, you know, all the time. They were sharing meals together. They were throwing parties together. And, and uh, I mean, there's just so much benefit mm-hmm. to that and uh, just acts of hospitality that yeah. way that, you know, really connect with people and build those deep relationships. And so... Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to be a broken record about this either, but again, two, two of the three things he mentioned about partnerships didn't cost any money. Yeah. And so I think... Continuing to tell that story is important because it seems like every person we talk to week after week talks about what you can do to partner with the church plants that's not financially based. Yeah, so many churches think you got to have money to do it, and and it's like he said, we're just trying to get ten percent engaged in Sin City stuff. Yeah. Um, man, it's just hard to to get a church to realize there's a lot you can do. Yeah, even if you can't do the financial stuff. So, and, and I'll say this, you know, to to any potential partner churches listening, you know, anytime you're gonna be you're gonna spend praying for a church plant, there is no way that's not going to have an effect on your church. Yeah, uh, if you're praying for others and ways you can advance the kingdom and, and impact lostness with the gospel, that is going to have an impact on your. Every current time. local church every time, and and we can show story after story after story of churches that have decided to take a step of faith to partner with a new church plant, uh, to pray, to go, to give, all those things, and, and that established church grows right alongside that church plant. Yeah, it mm-hmm. is fascinating to watch, and, and it's and you know there's the old statement you you can't outgive God. Uh, I think any time where you give yourself away, you give your resources away to help somebody else, God is going to replenish those uh, more than, than you gave away. It just over we see it over and over and over, and uh, and the prayer the prayer aspect of church planning cannot overemphasize the importance of that. And and planners will tell you over and over and over, we could not do this if there were not people praying. And, uh, I mean, just some some absolutely stunning things we've seen. You know, I've seen over the last eight years, nine years now, being involved in church planning uh, that were a result of, of people praying. And just incredible, incredible stuff. So. All right, great stuff there. We're gonna we're gonna wrap this up and kick it off. Uh, kick it over to story time with Uncle Neil. It's story time with Uncle Neil. Today's story time is very special to us on the grind. One of our teammates on the church planting team at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention is retiring. Roger Gaunt, deer hunter extraordinaire and a great church planting strategist, is making the shift toward more time with his family. We'd like to give a tribute to Roger by sharing this story. In 2010, immediately after the earthquake in Haiti, a group of leaders were trying to decide how to get into Haiti to serve. While airports were closed and ground transportation was impossible, Roger Gaunt made the statement, I think I can get us in. Roger flew into Dominican Republic, borrowed a car from a friend and drove into Haiti. After making several connections with people on the ground, Roger got to work. Based on the efforts of Roger, 12,668 medical patients were helped. 60-plus homes were built for amputees and the elderly. 6,652 professions of faith and an unknown number of churches were planted. 
What can one person do? More than you can imagine. Thanks, Roger, for your tireless service and unselfish spirit. We want to hear your story. Email us at thegrind at absc.org. It's called reading. Top to bottom, left to right. Group words together as a sentence. What is this? I'm still sore I never read Moby Dick. I'm very important. You never read anything I asked you to. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. Let's look at Chad and Dave's bookshelf. All right, today on uh, the bookshelf, we're uh, going in a little different direction. Rather than recommending a couple of books, we're going to rec- recommend a couple of uh, blogs for you to check out. And uh, so, Chad, you want to start us off there? And, and yeah, absolutely. One, I think it was a blog you turned me on to uh, when, when we were kind of trying to find some stuff for our church planting Facebook page. By the way, if you haven't seen that, go to our Facebook page. We we post a lot of church planting articles, so it's a good resource, hopefully, for planters and, and others. So if you haven't checked that out, there's usually some good articles on there. So one that uh, I think you referenced me to was Tony Morgan Live. I think it's mm-hmm. TonyMorganLive.com. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of good leadership, I think, based uh, content. And uh, one of the things that stood out to me, uh, the article, I think, is titled... Ha- how to have a better sabbatical or taking a better sabbatical, but it's really on rest and it applies not just to sabbaticals. Uh, And he goes through kind of a a twofold process when it comes to resting well. And, uh, and it was just, I thought it was really helpful. I ended up doing it actually with our network guys up in Northwest Arkansas in our network meeting in September. And there was just a really good feedback because I think, I don't think church planters rest well. Ministry people don't rest well. I think it's really it's hard to turn off your ministry brain. It's just hard not to carry people's burdens. It's just, so when you, you know, especially if you go on vacation, but you still got to preach next Sunday. It's just, I I mean, I, when I was pastoring as much of a joy as it was, I I don't know that I rested well Mm -hmm. ever. Yeah. And so it kind of takes you through this rhythm of, you know, how do you rest well? And, and there's a lot, a lot of good, content on there but that was probably the most helpful thing to me is how do we how do we rest better how do we help guys think through that process and so he's got kind of a a process for that that the guys can walk through so check that out uh tony morgan live and then search taking a better sabbatical and you'll see the couple of exercises he takes you through there yeah a ton of great stuff tony's got some fantastic stuff just day to day uh really helpful things and uh, and I think you're right. You, you know, ministers typically all on all the time. And uh, I was listening to a podcast, a prominent preacher one time, and he asked the question. Uh, he was talking about rest and Sabbath, and and he said, "When is there a time where you are not available?" <laughs> and uh, about the time he said that, his cell phone rang, <laughs> and I'm sure it was a ploy. But uh, and then he talked about all the soothing sounds of the cell phone, and and he says, "When are you not available?" He said, mm-hmm. "There has to be times where you are not available mm-hmm. and uh, for rest and refreshment and reflection and yeah. all those things." And so, well, very I, important. I think it makes it hard because today our cell phones serve so many purposes. You know, mm-hmm. like we do our budgeting on our cell phone. Uh, we have games that you like to play on your cell phone. We have banking, mobile apps. I don't ever go to the bank. Right. I can take a picture of a check and deposit it you yeah. know, on my cell phone. So we, when you're doing kind of those, even those leisure activities on your phone and it rings or yeah. you get an email or you get a text yeah. or you get a Facebook message. Yeah. I mean, there's so many media, uh, you know, out there, ways to get a, get a hold of you. 
I just think it's really hard. Like we talked about, this may be TMI, but if we ever pastored again of doing a church phone that can be shut off and powered down, you yeah. know, and I, I don't know, maybe that's too extreme, but I just think it's hard not to be available 24-7. And maybe that 24-7 access is what is so draining to guys. So finding some way, like you said, where you're you're not accessible where you can rest, where you can get away, where you can be 100% with your family. It's just, it's crucial. So you got to figure that out. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, my blog, uh, want you guys to check out, uh, for this, this episode is, uh, Michael Frost's new blog. Um, uh, no stranger to many of you in the church planning world, uh, you know, authored Shaping of Things to Come with Alan Hirsch, um, Exiles, Incarnate, uh, you know, so many surprise the world, you know, five habits of missional people. Great, great stuff. Well, he started a blog uh, about a month or so ago, I guess now, and uh, just MikeFrost.net. And, and one of the things he's doing right now that has just been fascinating is he's doing a take off of uh, uh, Eric McTaxis's book, uh, Seven Great Men or something like that, where he highlights like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce and some prominent men, great men in, in history. Uh, but he's doing a, a blog post called, a series of blog posts called Seven Broken Men and looking at kind of flawed, broken uh, characters that God used to do incredible things in his kingdom. Uh, from guys like John McCaig, who started the, the first Baptist church in Australia, uh, kind of a, a, a Scottish drunken you know, misfit <laughs> and uh, ends up starting this first Baptist church in, in Australia and started this whole movement. Uh, I was just, he's got this little yeah. short biographies on every one of these guys is fascinating. It, uh, it's my opinion that drunk Irishmen make the best church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially in Australia uh, for some reason. And uh, so from, from him to, uh, you know, very little known guy to uh, Lonnie Frisbee, who people might know from the Jesus movement, uh, had a big influence on the whole Calvary Chapel thing, uh, wild and crazy hippie character. Uh, and he even writes one on John. Calvin talking about his early uh, upbringing and a very uh, authoritarian dad, uh, you know, who kind of dictated how he would kind of live in all these different things, which ended up shaping how he would lead in Geneva. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just some some interesting interesting posts from the perspective of broken people that God chooses to do incredible things with anyway. And, uh, you know, when we read, you know, Christian church history books, these are not typically, outside of John Calvin, you know, these are not typically the guys we read about as pivotal figures in the formation of the church and advancement of the church, but do play key roles uh, in, in God expanding his kingdom. Uh, in in our weakness, he is strong, and mm. these guys are evidence of that. And so it's just been kind of a fascinating series. Of course, I'm a huge Michael Frost fan and uh, just amazing storyteller and just got some great stuff on, on this blog, uh, but that series in particular has been, been fun to read. Uh, and, I think it's a good reminder that while you don't want to be enabling of your own weaknesses or right. your own character deficiencies, <laughs> realizing that none of us are perfect, none right. of us have it all together, that God, when He uses us, uses us 
in spite of ourselves. Yeah. That can be encouraging. I think with the with the right level of sobriety, you know, <laughs> thinking thinking correctly about yourself, you yeah, know, yeah, uh, not enabling yourself and your your sins or whatever, but but in a repentant way, realizing yeah. that you're you're imperfect, you know. So so just realize that God uses imperfect people. That's kind of been His pattern. These are really kind of a lot of modern examples. Really, the last you know few yeah. few decades. Uh, besides John Calvin, that'd be uh, more than a few decades. Yeah, but most of them. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's man, that's the way God's been doing it forever. So yeah. uh, that's encouraging to to us to know that y- you can be used of God, and not be perfect. Yeah, exactly. In, in the midst of that brokenness, uh, still you know, amazing things can happen. Lasting legacies, you know, take place, uh, which should be encouraging to us. You know, even Paul. You know, said in Romans chapter seven, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing the very things I hate. Uh, and uh, you know, who we would consider the the greatest missionary that ever lived, you know, acknowledged his own weaknesses and failures, um, you, you know, as well. And uh, and since sin entered the world, there is not one example outside of Jesus of a non broken human being. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, God overcomes a lot <laughs> to accomplish his purposes through his broken people. And yep. so just a, just a great reminder, uh, kind of fun reading. Any, any recommend some biographies on each of these guys if you want to do some further reading on any of these interesting characters. And uh, so it's kind of, kind of fascinating. All right, we're going to wrap up. A uh, few things coming up. Thanksgiving and Christmas yeah. on the horizon. That's just hard to believe. We're like under 50 days till Christmas, yeah. now, I think. It's middle of November and uh, almost, and Thanksgiving on the horizon. We'll kind of catch up on some vacation time a little bit over the holidays. And we're actually going to take a break uh, from the podcast in December uh, just to give a break between Thanksgiving and Christmas, a little bit of downtime there, and then we'll pick back up in January. And uh, we're going to kick off the new year pretty quickly with the Evangelism Conference January 30th and 31st at Geyer Springs Baptist Church here in Little Rock. Always a great time. Encourage all you guys to come and attend. Uh, We're going to do a church planting breakout on Tuesday at lunch with uh, George Ross, who's a church planter in New Orleans, and a friend of Chad's uh, as well. Y'all are in seminary together? Yeah, uh, we went to the same seminary, but we got connected through a mission trip to Montana in 1999. So uh, that's kind of how we got connected. He's also the Sin City missionary in New Orleans. In New Orleans, yeah. yeah. So that'd be a great time hanging out with George and and hearing what's going going on in New Orleans. It'd be a great time of encouragement and and challenge. George led, um, not only planted a church in North Mississippi, but kind of led a church planting network in North Mississippi that planted uh, tons of churches yeah. uh, before going to New Orleans. So uh, got a lot of experience in church planting. Be a really, really good guy to hear from. So Yeah, yeah, to... it'll be a fun time. So come yeah. join us for that. And uh, you know, also, you know, send us uh, your iTunes reviews. Uh, you know, don't forget that. Uh, I think we've gotten a couple. Uh, you know, send us your email, stories, questions, anything like that. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, uh, maybe some, some topics you'd like for us to cover, some people you'd like for us to try and interview, things like that. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, so uh, check us out on social media, Facebook, Twitter, uh, website, and uh, you know, all of these podcasts on, on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, all that good stuff. And tell your friends. Uh, what a glorious event this is and uh, share share with your friends and so until next time uh, we will see you guys soon yeah keep grinding